thank you for listening to The Real Deal with Damian Adams. This is Real Sports Talk for the Real Sports Fan. And I definitely appreciate all you Real Sports fans who are listening right now. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please do me a huge favor and leave this podcast a five-star rating. That one, two, three, four, that five-star rating review will definitely be appreciated. If you're listening on any other platform, that could be Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Podomatic, wherever. Please share from that platform so that your friends and family can see the podcast, listen to the podcast, love the podcast, subscribe, and then share it with their friends and family. I'm trying to get this podcast to the highest levels of podcastivity, and I need your help to get there. It would be truly, truly appreciated. We have a very big show for you guys today. If you are new to the podcast, let me tell you that my three favorite sports are the NBA, NFL, and boxing. And we have mega, mega news and topics in all three sports. Of course, we're going to get to the NFL and do the week four picks and best bets. I'm going to give you my winners and losers for week three. We're going to do a deep dive preview into the Canelo Alvarez versus Jamel Charlo fight. But before we get into all that, we got to start with the mega, mega trade that went down in the NBA yesterday. As we had a three-team deal between the Milwaukee Bucks, Portland Trail Blazers, and Phoenix Suns. So in this trade, Milwaukee received Damian Lillard. Yes, Damian Lillard, seven-time All-NBA team member, seven-time All-Star, NBA 75th anniversary team member, Damian Lillard, Mr. Clutch, Dame Time, Dad Dude, is joining Giannis. Chris Middleton, Brooke Lopez, Pat Connington and company in Milwaukee. The Blazers got back Drew Holiday and DeAndre Ayton, along with Tumani Kamara, who was the second round pick that the Phoenix Suns made in this year's draft, along with a 2029 first round pick and two pick swaps, one in 2028 and one in 2030. So for you know the cold seven graders out there who are listening right now, who may make it to the NBA, you might be a part of history one day if you are made to get an NBA by one of those picks. The Suns got Yusef Nurkic from the Blazers, Grayson Allen from the Bucks, and Nazir Little and Keon Johnson from the Blazers. Mega, mega deal. So let's look at it from the Bucks' perspective first. So the Bucks, you give up Drew Holiday, and you give up Grayson Allen, along with a pick and some pick swaps to get back Damian Lillard. A plus. A plus. Giannis Antetokounmpo was a guest on a podcast called 48 Minutes where he put a little pressure on the Bucks. He said that I'm a Milwaukee Buck, but I'm also a winner. And I have to be in the best place for me to get that Larry O'Brien trophy. Basically saying, hey, if y'all don't put a team around me that can win, I may be looking to go somewhere else. And not so long after, they make this deal to get Damian Lillard. And having Damian Lillard and Giannis Antetokounmpo on the same team is crazy, right? Maybe the best duo in the league. You think about Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. You think about Devin Booker and Kevin Durant. There's definitely a lot of dynamic duos. LeBron James, Anthony Davis. They're in the NBA right now. 
But you have Giannis, who at worst is the third best player in the league, depending on how you have them ranked. You could have Nikola Jokic, Joel Embiid, Giannis, or you could have Giannis in the middle there. But at worst, he's third best in the NBA. Damian Lillard, at worst, is in your top 15. Most people have him top 10, right? The edge of the top 10. So you have two top 10 players as your one and two. You kept Chris Middleton, who's had some injuries, but when healthy, 20, 25 points a game, solid defender, can score in situations where maybe the offense is stagnant. You just need a bucket. He can go in the mid-range, post up, get you a bucket in that way. You keep Brook Lopez, who was a defensive player of the year candidate last year, along with Giannis, along with Milton. Content's a good defender as well. So the loss on defense of Drew Holiday is major. Don't get me wrong. But because they kept their other defenders, this team is still going to be a good defensive team. May not be number one ranked defense, but they're a top 15 defense, which I still believe they will be, along with the offense they're going to have now, that's a championship recipe. A championship recipe. You can't look at this roster and say they're not going to win. Now, the things that could hinder them, they do have a new head coach. How will he do with the rotations? How will he adjust the minutes? That's going to be a big thing. Gonna, and he has a whole year to get it together before the playoffs. So the coach should be good in that standpoint. Um, I would say that this team went from championship contender to favorite in the East to make the finals. Now, they may have already been the favorite in the East, but now it's like head and shoulders between them in Boston, them in Philadelphia who has all their drama going on, Boston still has a really good team, but the Bucks should definitely be the favorites by far in the Eastern Conference. All right, the Trailblazers. I gave them a A minus on this deal for what they got back. So you give back Drew Holiday. Drew Holiday most likely won't play there, but he's somebody who definitely commands a lot back in return for him, right? So when you think about the fact that when he was traded from New Orleans to Milwaukee, look back at that trade and how much Milwaukee gave up to get him. New Orleans still has a bunch of draft picks from Milwaukee. The Blazers could get a similar return to help them build for the future. And a lot of teams could use a Drew Holiday on their team. So that's definitely good to get him in return. You get DeAndre Ayton, former number one overall pick. Last year averaged 18 points, 10 rebounds. And he hasn't been in a situation where he can get the ball on a consistent basis the way a number one overall pick normally does. In this situation, he will. Understand that Scoot is there. Him and Scoot can do the pick and roll, but Aiton's going to be the first or second option on this team. So we're really going to see if Aiton can mature into a guy who can get you 25 points a game, 12 rebounds. Also be a solid defender. He's going to be asked to do a lot for Portland. And we'll see if that potential can get met there. 
Uh, also, the picks, like I said, they're later down the line. It's going to be some 7th to 8th grader that's you know in school right now. But they could be very good because they're so far down the line that the Bucks may not be championship contenders at that point. So the unprotected pick in 2029 could mess around and be a top five pick. You never know. That's a great pick to have down the line. The pick swaps, if the Bucks do fall off in the next couple of years after going all in right now, could work out. We saw this in the past, right? You think about the famous Brooklyn and Boston trade where Boston capitalized on Brooklyn falling off after going all in and turned those picks into Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. Could be the same thing for the Trailblazers. So I love the trade from the Trailblazers. I'm not a huge fan of this trade from the Phoenix Suns standpoint. So you give up DeAndre Ayton, who is a young center entering his prime, for Yusef Nurkic, who is an older center who may be at the end of his prime in the last few years, hasn't shown that he's going upwards. He's shown a decline over the last few years. Yusef Nurkic at one point was known as a defensive center and definitely has not been that over the last couple of years. Him and DeAndre Ayton averaged about the same amount of blocks, both under one per game. And Ayton is giving you 18 and 10. Nurkic last year averaged 13 points, nine rebounds. So my thing is, if you're going to trade Ayton, why not get a defensive center who doesn't need the ball, sets screens, he's going to be happy getting, you know, the easy lob dunks when all the attention on the defense is towards Bradley Bill, Kevin Durant, Devin Booker. That center could just dive to the rim or already be in a dunker spot and dive in right at the right time to get putback rebounds or to get the easy little dish-off passes that he's going to get from those guys when all the gravity is around them. DeAndre Ayton is a guy who likes to work in the mid-range, right at that free throw line area, shoot there. His pick and roll game is okay. So if you're going to switch from that, why not go in like the total opposite direction? Now, I don't know if Miles Turner was available, but I do know that the Pacers in the past have shown strong interest in DeAndre Ayton. They even offered him a deal four years, $133 million that the Suns matched. DeAndre Ayton was a restricted free agent last season. So you have a team that shows that much interest in a player, go back and see if they're still interested. Right? You Miles Turner had his best year as a pro last year. So I don't know if the Pacers may have changed their mind because of that. I definitely can see that because Miles Turner, you think about him defensively, he's giving you more than two blocks a game. He's affecting a lot of shots at the rim. He's shooting 37% from the three-point line. So he's spacing the floor for Kevin Durant, for Devin Booker, for Bradley Bill, while also protecting the rim. And because of the way the money works, they would also have to get back someone else in that deal. If you get back TJ McConnell, you got your backup point guard. Someone who's going to play first defense, going to take care of the ball, going to be efficient, just knows the game. Also, another deal I was looking at, I don't know if Cleveland... How they're feeling about Jared Allen, especially after that playoff series against the Knicks last year. Jared Allen had a very high defensive rating last year. He was second behind Giannis in defensive rating. The Cavs had the number one defense in the NBA during the regular season. So obviously Jared Allen was doing his job on defense. Offensively, he could be limited, especially come playoff time where teams have 
all this time to focus on your weaknesses. The Suns don't need him offensively. Just handle defense, get easy buckets. Jared Allen can do that for you. And you also get back someone like maybe Isaac Okoro, who can be a 3 and D guy for you, which every team needs. So I just didn't like the downgrade from Aiton to Nurkic. Another thing with Nurkic is he's been injury prone. Over the last three seasons, DeAndre Ayton has played almost 40 more games than Nurkic has. So not only has Ayton been more productive, he's been more durable, more available. So you go from 18 and 10 while also being available to 13 and 9 with the possibility of him being on the bench in street clothes a lot. Now, I do like Grayson Allen. A lot of people don't like Grayson Allen. They believe he's a dirty player. I believe that some of it's been misunderstandings. Some things get exaggerated. I remember when he was playing against Chicago. Now, of course, Chicago already hates him because he had a play where he went for a block, caught Caruso on the arm as they were both in the air. Caruso came down and broke his wrist. I don't think he was trying to be dirty. I just think it was bad luck on that play. I don't think it was a dirty play. There's another play that Chicago put on Instagram where Grayson Allen is guarding, I want to say, DeMar DeRozan. He's trying to get over a pick. DeMar DeRozan stops as he's going around a pick. You'll see NBA players do this a lot. As they're going around a pick, they'll stop in front of the defender just to throw off their balance, and then they'll go to make sure that the defender doesn't get back in front of them so they have an easy basket. So when Aiton does the thing where he stops on the pick and roll, Grayson runs into him. And DeMar flops down. And everybody's like, oh, look at him being dirty. He pushed him down. It was like, really, y'all didn't see that flop? So it got to the point where, because his reputation was such as a dirty player, that normal plays, people were reacting crazy to, like he did something wrong. So I do think that the reputation of Grayson Allen swayed so much to the dirty side that people weren't even seeing him clearly, right? But he's a good defender, somebody who's going to fight on defense to stay in front of his man. And as a three-point shooter, shot 39.9% last year. So you got a very good three-point shooter. Also, sneaky athletic. If you run him off that three-point line, he's somebody who can get to the rim, can bam it on people. So when you have that, that's perfect to go along with the big three that you have in Phoenix. So I do like Grayson Allen. But Grayson Allen may have the biggest impact of the people they got back in his trade. If he's the biggest impact you have after giving up your former number one overall pick who has been productive, it's not enough. Nizer a little may play a little bit, right? No pun intended. He may play a little bit. Keon Johnson, we don't know if he's going to may not make the team, right? There's 17 people on the team right now. So two people will get cut. At least two. So for Phoenix, I gave them a C minus because I feel like they could have gotten more in return for DeAndre Ayton, unless I'm wrong. Unless the relationship between Ayton and the team was so damaged, they feel like they just had to get him out of there. And if that's the case, I feel like they should've did it earlier and got more back. Because if that was the case, when Damian Lillard became available, why not go after him instead of Bradley Bill? But they did the Bradley Bill move so early. It was very early. 
I have to look back at the timeline and see if Damian Lillard announced that he wanted to get traded or not at that point. I don't believe he did. But they probably knew. They probably had the rumblings that Damian Lillard was going to be available. Why not wait to make that deal? The Blazers wanted eight anyway. So you could have did a straight up deal with Portland. Give up Aiton. Give up Kamara. Some second round picks because they don't have any first round picks because they gave up so many. And do it that way and get Damian Lillard. And no disrespect to Bradley Bill, very good player, but he's not Damian Lillard. Dane, Kevin Durant, Devin Booker. That's crazy. That's bananas. What they have now is bananas, but this is like next level bananas. They would have did that. And I feel like that was available to do. Looking at the evidence in this trade. But I love what the Bucks did. I think they made themselves the favorite in the East by far. The Blazers have set themselves up to build a championship contender with the assets they could get back to do Holiday. I like the addition of DeAndre Ayton and those draft picks. Also, Tumani Kamara could be a very good player. We have to wait and see, but it's good to have him on the roster for the Blazers. And for the Suns, not, not really excited about what they did in this deal. Uh, Yusef Nurkic, hopefully he can be that physical guy they need, but I feel like they could have got more back for him. So we're going to go ahead and take our first music break. When we come back, Canelo Alvarez versus Jamel Charlo on Saturday. Got to break it down. Let's get it. Let me see you go back. Oh, oh, oh. 
Welcome back to The Real Deal with Damian Adams. Hopefully you enjoyed that music break. Now, there's a big time boxing match this weekend between two undisputed champions. The undisputed super middleweight champion, Jermel Charlo, is moving up two weight classes. So he's going from 154 past 160 to 168 to challenge Saul Canelo Alvarez for his undisputed super middleweight championship. This is the type of fights that you want. 2023 has been a great year for boxing. You think about having Errol Spence versus Terrence Crawford. Wasn't a great fight. But the fact that we got that fight is amazing. Ryan Garcia, Javante Davis. Decent fight, but the fact that we got that fight is amazing. David Benavidez going against Caleb Plant. Good fight. The fact that we got that one. This year has been a good year for fights. Devin Haney versus Vasil Lomachenko. We're getting Devin Haney versus Regis Progre later on this year. Boxing has been in his bag this year. And this weekend is just another example of that. So what are the keys to the fight for each fighter? Let's start with Jamel Charlo. Coming into this with one loss on his resume, which he was able to get revenge on against Tony Harrison. Never been knocked down, never been knocked out. But he is moving up two weight classes. But he's a naturally bigger fighter. He's six feet tall, 73 inch reach, compared to Canelo, who's 5'8 with a 70 inch reach. He has to use that reach. And it could be very similar to what we saw Dimitri Baval do against Canelo Alvarez. If you think back to that fight, May 2022, Canelo came in as a favorite because more people knew him compared to Baval. Baval, very skillful, very good, but wasn't very popular because of all the mandatory defenses, didn't really have the big name opponents on his resume yet, outside of like Joe Smith. And Baval, controlled that fight by using his size, his length, by not letting Canelo get in the rhythm. Usually Canelo against taller fighters, they even get on the inside, go to the body, and Vival stay behind his guard, stay behind his jab, his straight, and just collected points. And Canelo at times tried to get in Baval's head, try to talk a little trash to get him to come out of character. Didn't happen. Now with Charlo, at times he could be a bit wild when he fights. So for him, staying disciplined with straights and jabs. That jab should be popping all night. Not just one jab at a time, but double it up, triple it up. Jab to the body, then jab back upstairs. Keep Canelo defensively busy to where he's not in the range to counter. Now Canelo has good head movement, has become a very good defensive fighter. The fight that really stands out when you think about his head movement was his fight against Daniel Jacobs. In that fight he did an amazing job of moving his head and making himself a very hard target to hit. What Charlo can do 
is put Canelo in that same position where he's constantly on defense, but throw more than just one shot. One, two, one. That would be a jab, straight jab again. Do combinations like that where now Canelo can't just dodge and punch back. He's dodging and dodging. And then once you throw those two or three punches, you're out of range because of your reach advantage. It could be a long night for Canelo if Charlo is disciplined enough to do that all night long. Key number two for Jamel Charlo. Don't give up ground. Stay in the middle of the ring. Canelo's coming into this fight as the assumed stronger fighter because he's been fighting at heavier weight classes for a longer time than Charlo, right? This is Charlo's first fight at 168. If Canelo tries to bully him and pushes him back, that's going to be a turn in the fight. If he's able to push him against the ropes or able just to push him around, that's going to stand out to the judges. Even if there's times where the punches aren't landing cleanly, the person who's being more physical may win that moment in the round. So Charlo could do what Terrence Crawford did to Errol Spence. There was a moment in that fight. Now, I picked Errol Spence in that fight. I was dead wrong. Even better, Errol Spence lost a little money. There was a moment where Errol Spence tried to come on the inside and tried to push Terrence Crawford. And Terrence Crawford didn't move. Held his ground, pushed him off of him, then went back on the attack. In that moment, I was like, damn, I'm about to lose my money. Because the assumed advantage for Errol Spence was gone. If Charlo does that same thing to Canelo, we may see a similar outcome. Now, I don't see Canelo getting knocked out, but I also didn't see Errol Spence getting knocked out, right? But Canelo has been in over 60 fights, and we've never seen him hurt. And he's been in there with some big-time punchers. Was in there with Triple G when Triple G was still Triple G. Not in the third fight. The third fight, that was just Gennady. The first two fights, that was still Triple G. And Canelo, no matter who you think won the fight, I know both those fights were close and they're highly disputed, but take the results away. Canelo took Triple G's best punches in a time where Triple G was still knocking everybody out. And he may have been stunned, maybe a little, but he was never seriously hurt to where you thought, oh, Canelo's going to get knocked out. And if Canelo could do that at Triple G, he's definitely going to be able to handle Charlo's power. Not saying Charlo doesn't have power. He does. We've seen him have devastating knockouts, right? One of the guys that he knocked out is actually going to be on the undercard, Erickson Lubin. If you want to see a devastating knockout, look up Jamel Charlo, Erickson Lubin. First round, real quick. Won't take you no time to watch it. Crazy knockout. So Charlo has the power to do that against certain guys. Canelo just seems like he's got one of those iron chins. You know, like a Vander Holyfield, George Foreman type, where they can just take that type of punishment. So don't go looking for the knockout. Stay behind your jabs and your straights. Don't give up ground. Stay in the middle of the ring. Do not find yourself on them ropes. Because that's where Canelo can take advantage, go to the body. And we know Canelo is a nasty body puncher. You don't want to be there. Charlo has to be selective with his hooks and uppercuts. 
with Charlo, he can get excited, like I mentioned earlier, and get a little wild. If he does that, if he gets wild, he can find himself on the bad end of a great counterpunch from Canelo. You definitely don't want to do that. So the main key for Charlo is to be disciplined. Jabs and straights. Don't find yourself on the ropes. And you do have to switch up and throw some hooks, some uppercuts, but be selective. Throw those and get back out of range. A hook, an uppercut, one, maybe two punches on the inside, then get back out. Don't give Canelo the chance to be at his range, what he wants to do. So what are the keys for Canelo? Head movement, but move forward. So I mentioned that he has improved his head movement. The fight that looked the best was against Daniel Jacobs. He did a great job in that fight of making it hard to hit him, especially upstairs. He has to do the same thing in this fight. Keep the head moving, but he can't just move back. In the Jacobs fight, it was a little disappointing because the action wasn't there, because he was so defensively sound, but he wasn't looking for his offense. In this fight, he has to look for his offense alongside being defensively sound. So when he does maybe catch Charlo in a bad position, maybe Charlo throws a jab or he overextends on a straight right hand, he's able to counter. He has to take advantage, move forward, body shot, head shot, wherever that counter is available, he has to do it. He can't, he can't hesitate to pull the trigger. Can't do it. So he has to make sure that he takes advantage of every opportunity that comes by moving forward and not moving backwards. He has to be on the front foot. Key number two, body work. He's got to go to the body. Because Charlo has the reach advantage and is taller, the shots to the head won't be there initially. But if he's able to go to the body, slow Charlo down, get Charlo to stay in one place, that's when the head shots can come. We know that Canelo can go to the body in a major way. We've seen him knock dudes out, knock dudes down with left, left hooks to the body. Definitely something he can do. So for me, I need to see Canelo do that early. Not have a slow start. First round, come out, try to establish himself as a stronger fighter and go to the body. Even if he does try to bully Jamel. So let's say Jamel holds his ground and doesn't back up. As he's holding his ground, you should be going to the body. As he's thinking about not getting pushed around, that's when you attack the body. Go there. And also make him back up. Make Charlo be on the defensive. Charlo at times can get stuck on the ropes and he's confident in himself. He's confident enough in himself to fight off the ropes. Make him regret that. Make him suffer the body shots, the head shots when he's on those ropes. If he goes into the high guard, attack that body. Or maybe you can get an uppercut through the guard. It went in that way. Uh, this is a very, very interesting fight. As far as the bets go, I don't see either fighter getting knocked out. The over-under for total rounds is 10 and a half. That lets you know the respect that these fighters have as far as their chins and their ability to get through a fight. Take the over. This fight is going the distance. Take the over. Or just bet yes on the fight going the distance. The over for 10.5 is minus 330. So you do have to bet a lot of money to win a decent amount. 
for the yes on the fight going a distance is minus 240. So you can go ahead and bet on that so you don't have to bet as much to make a little bit back. I like Jamel Charlo to win this fight by decision. I believe that his athletic ability, his skill, his length will be enough to outpoint Canelo. Canelo at times will feel like he's fighting against Floyd Mayweather. Not saying Jamel Charles on that level defensively, but there's going to be times where Charles' athletic ability to get away from him will be frustrating to Canelo. The length will remind him of Baval if Charles stays disciplined. He has to come to this fight disciplined. There's times where Canelo tries to go him into some type of brawl or try to get him out of character. He has to make sure that he stays within the game plan of being disciplined. If he does that, I see Charlo winning by decision. Last time I checked it, Charlo by decision, I believe, was minus 380. If you want to really get bold with it, you can bet on the exact method of victory. And you can do Charlo by unanimous decision at minus 900. Now, that's risky because you got to depend on the judges. And sometimes in boxing, the judges don't do what's right. But you can, get, you can clean up in a major way by betting on Charlo by decision or Charlo by unanimous decision in the exact method of victory. Now these are from FanDuel, so if you use a different app or a different site, it may be a little different, but they should be close to those odds. So I like Jamel Charlo by decision. I'm going with the upset over Canelo Alvarez. Who do you have winning this fight? And do you like my keys to victory for each fighter? Just to remind you, Charlo uses reach. Jab, 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 straight right hands. Don't give up ground, stay in the middle of the ring. Be selective with your hooks and uppercuts and get out of range once you throw those punches. For Canelo, head movement, but move forward. Make sure you're always moving forward in this fight. Body work. If Charlo gets on those ropes, make him regret it with body work. Also, make him back up to where he can have those moments on the ropes. Don't let Charlo get comfortable in the middle of the ring. Those are my keys. My prediction is Jamel Charlo by decision with the big upset. So we're going to take another music break when we come back. Got to talk some football. Let's do winners and losers from week three. Get in that 
shorty like what you need, what you want. Want for nothing, cause I got you, but you front. I see you with your baby father, but it don't matter. Since you gave me the pussy, that ass is getting fatter. Let that nigga play daddy, make moves with me. I done kept it more than real, boo. Can't lose with me, true. Dirty smack you, cause you said my name when y'all was sex. Ran up on this caddy, thought was me and started flexing. No, I ain't even with that. So he gon' have to get that dance on TV. Try to creep me, what? That nigga sleepy. No strength for you, that's your kid's daddy. I ain't gon' send him on his way, put him up in that big caddy. But let him know, never mind, yo. I need you to go. Take the snow up to the 150. See, yo, get that. Come back with that, and we can split that. Sit back, fuck, fuck for L, forget that. We'll take that. Till it's gone, then I have to know that Cause you with me, you up Nigga, I'm trying to give me enough Cause money's gonna give me the bug, bug Every game's a damn play, how's it going down? It's gone, till it's gone, then I have to know that Cause you with me, you up Nigga, I'm trying to give me enough Cause money's gonna give me the bug, bug Hey, every chicken got me digging her moves Cause she's smooth, win or lose Whatever she choose, is the dude Respected, not expected, but it's given Cause it's real, being neglected to know Expected the deal, lie, cheat, and steal for me. Put something in the niggas' wig if you squeal for me. Kill for me, you still with me, cause we get down like what? Told you from the dog, it ain't all about a nut. I'm gonna be fair, wanna be there? We gon' see that. Hit me with the question, boo, that answer gon' be yeah. See that? Something can go wrong, it's tough. Love it, let it go, when it came back, that's how strong it was. But she belonged to cuss, couldn't belong to me. Get two kids by this nigga, it was wrong for me. But we gon' always be best of friends. Hopefully you enjoyed that music break. So now let's get into the winners and losers for NFL Week 3. And since this episode is a little longer, only pick three winners and three losers. We're going to alternate between the winners and losers here. First winner, the Miami Dolphins. You might have forgotten because, you know, Week 4 is upon us. It is Thursday when I'm recording this episode. But the Dolphins put up 70 points. 70, 7, 0, 7 times 10, like, yo, <laughs> that's so bananas, 70 points, only the fourth time in NFL history, a team has scored 70, and uh, Ryan Clark described it as a homecoming game, this is what happens when the big school, like an Alabama LSU, you know, they pay a small school, Grambling, somebody like that to come and they get whooped on. This was it looked like. But unfortunately, Denver didn't get paid extra for the whooping. They already getting paid their professionals. They didn't look professional. They looked very amateurish in this game. 
And Tua finished the day 23 of 26, 309 yards, four touchdowns. He had Devon Achan, 18 carries, 203 yards, two touchdowns, also two receiving touchdowns. Raheem Moster, shout out to you, Raheem Moster, carried me in fantasy this week. 13 carries, 82 yards, three touchdowns, also receiving touchdowns. So both running backs, four total touchdowns. Just bananas. Already bananas. Tyreek Hill, nine receptions for 157 yards and one touchdown. The backups came in balling out. Two are throwing no-look passes. They doing line dances for touchdown celebrations. Like, they ran out of ideas on touchdown celebrations. Like, Denver's defense was good last year. They finished the season ranked 14th, but most of the year prior to when it looks like they quit on Nathaniel Hackett, prior to that, this defense was a top 10 defense. And the reason that got overshadowed because the offense was so terrible, they couldn't score any points. But for the longest time, teams weren't scoring more than 17 on this Denver defense. So what happened? Where did the plug get let loose and all the water just flow through on this defense? And Vance Joseph is defensive coordinator. I believe he's from Marrero, Louisiana, same hometown. So I don't want to be too harsh, but yo, you like that's a fireable offense. Giving up 70 points is a game where a defensive coordinator can't get fired. You know Sean Payton's not getting fired. He's got too much money guaranteed to him. So he's not going to get fired this early. Vance Joseph, defensive coordinator, I wouldn't have been shocked. He better ball out this week. Now he's playing against Chicago. So Denver's defense should look tons better against Chicago. If they go out there and Chicago scores 35, then at that point, I wouldn't blame Denver if they fired defensive coordinator at that point because no way that should be happening. 70 points. So this week against Chicago, they got to look way better. Got to give up 70 points. And Denver's my loser. You give up 70 points, get embarrassed, demolished, obliterated, humiliated, like... There's not enough adjectives to describe that beatdown. Normally, I would say, oh, they got took, you know, behind the woodshed. They had to go pick a switch. This is worse than that. They didn't go pick a switch. Like, they got an extension cord whooping. Like, they got one of those whoopings that would be abused today. Like, that's what they got. 1966, why did you come in the house and I told you to stay outside type whooping. Like, they got a type of whooping that stays on your memory forever like the type of whooping you're in therapy for now that you got when you was like 10 years old that type of whooping like as a professional i've been as an athlete i've been a part of some bad games where we got whooped on i remember when i was in high school we played against greg monroe who went on to play in the nba for like nine ten years his team wasn't just him also all the other starters went on to play d1 basketball right our team wasn't like that. <laughs> Just to really give you a perspective, their point guard was 6'5", our center was 6'4". So we were outmatched in a major way in that game. We got blown out by like 35 points. It could have been worse. And I imagine the feeling I had then is the feeling that Denver has now. But Denver, those guys, were the ones who were blowing people out in high school, in college. Then to get to the pros and get whooped on like that, Right now, it's fight or flight. Got to respond. 
And like I said earlier, they do have a good chance to respond in a major way because they're playing against Chicago. For the next winner, the Houston Texans. What? The Houston Texans, 37-17 to over Jacksonville. Major victory right there for them. C.J. Stroud went 20 for 30, 280 yards, two touchdowns. Tank Dale, five receptions for 145 yards and a touchdown. Held the Jaguars in check. Only 17 points for that offense that we thought was going to be one of the best offenses in the league. You look at the weapons, Calvin Ridley and Christian Kirk and Evan Ingram and Travis Etienne, along with Trevor Lawrence at quarterback. You're like, man, this offense should get 30 a game. They haven't been that so far. Now, they're missing one of their best offensive linemen. So once he gets back, this may change because the protection might change. And Trevor Lawrence, who Amina Khan said his superpower is not taking sacks, but he's taking more sacks this year than normal because of the offensive line not being the same. Maybe that would change. But Houston, you got to give them all the credit in the world for what they did, being able to dominate in that way. C.J. Stroud looks like he's got to be a star around the gate. That's a major win for them. And looks like their coach is doing his thing. Houston may be on the rise. Or maybe it's just that they have Jacksonville's number. Their first win each year comes against Jacksonville, I believe the last five years. Like, that's, that's bananas. The odds of that happening have to be so astronomical. Like, that's bananas. So to really just bring it home... Houston has to continue to do this against other teams. We'll see. My next loser, the Washington Commanders offense. Last week, I gave praise to Eric Bieniemy for he for what he's been able to do. But then now, <laughs> the fact that they scored 35 on Denver's defense is a lot less impressive after Miami scored 70 on them. They scored 20 against the Cardinals, and the Cardinals' defense actually played well against them. So they go against Buffalo, a real defense, and they get dominated. They scored three points. Those three points came at the end of the game. 230 total yards, five turnovers, could not do anything offensively. Just shut down. Eric Bieniemy got to figure it out. Sam Howell got to figure it out. Can't be like this. Because now you're going to have all of the naysayers for Eric Benjamin saying, this is what y'all wanted to be the head coach, this guy, getting dominated like this. The guy who couldn't get the offense to move at all. So they got to figure it out. Next winner, Jordan Love. Uh, this came at the expense of my New Orleans Saints. We were up 17-0 going into the fourth quarter. And Jordan Love led a comeback. For them to win 18 to 17, gotta give respect to that. He made some amazing throws in that comeback. Like pinpoint, only his receiver could get it over good coverage. Like we, the Saints have a lot of good cornerbacks, and you saw it throughout the game. Now the Saints' offense didn't do anything in the second half. Derek Carr got hurt. Uh, Jameis Winston was okay, and to his credit, he did lead a drive that should have been the go-ahead field goal, but our field goal kicker choked in that moment. Um, We'll see. It might be Jameis again this week because Derek Carr is dealing with an AC joint injury in his shoulder. So we'll have to wait and see. But Jameis is capable enough of leading the offense down the field and scoring points. The only thing you worry about with Jameis is him getting too excited trying to force things. He didn't do that in this game. The tough passes that he did make, you saw the accuracy, you saw the arm talent. 
and I thought we got a little too conservative in the second half offensively. You score one more touchdown, you win that game in the second half. But Jordan Love, got to give him respect for the throws, the athleticism he showed, some big-time runs. Green Bay might have him another one. Crazy to go from Brett Favre to Aaron Rodgers. And we'll see with Jordan Love, but it looks good so far. My last loser, Tennessee, their offense. Ryan Tannehill went 13-25 for 104 yards in an NFL game. He was sacked five times. He scored three points. There's a play, not even a play, there's a sequence because the play didn't happen, where Miles Garrett, who I believe had three and a half sacks in the game. The Tennessee Titans send in two tight ends with the sole purpose of blocking Miles Garrett. And obviously they didn't really talk this out because they come into the game, Miles Garrett sees what's going on. It's like, okay, I'm going to move to see if these tight ends move with me. He moves back and forth as if he's just playing with them and forces a delay of game because they can't get set because they're following him back and forth. And this is something you see in high school. I cover high school football here in Arizona. And every once in a while, you'll see a player who... Is clearly going to play D1 football, maybe in the NFL one day. Going against kids who are going to make great doctors, lawyers, accountants, but they're not going to be playing college football, let alone pro football. So sometimes you'll see those mismatches where you'll see a guy who could be a future pro going against kids who are going to be pro in other things than sports, right? And the high school coach who's coaching that team that's at a disadvantage, has to come up with some way to stop the guy who's going to be the future pro. And you'll see just, okay, we're going to have three guys block him. We're going to have, make it to where someone else has to beat us. Or if it's on the offensive side, you'll have a wide receiver who looks really good, who they're like, okay, we're going to triple guard him. Someone else has to beat us. You'll see in high school sometimes like that. This is what this looked like. It looked like Miles Garrett was the future pro going against kids who aren't going to play in college in a professional football game. That's what it looked like. Bananas. Absolutely bananas. Got to give respect to Miles Garrett and that Browns defense. Deshaun Watson even looked good in this game. Looked like shades of the old Deshaun Watson we saw in Houston. If that continues, this Browns team is going to be dangerous. Not just... Oh, they could win some games. Like, they will be a Super Bowl contender if Deshaun Watson continues to improve and this defense stays healthy. Super Bowl contender, Cleveland Browns. Yes, I know that sounds like an oxymoron, something that's not possible with their history, but it's real. It's very real. And one last loser is us, America. The sports fans, the music fans, for us, Making this Taylor Swift thing what it is. Taylor Swift I get is a mega star. I hear her concerts are amazing. You know, I know a few songs because she had some hits that were so big that you couldn't avoid them. You know, Shake It Off and Bad Blood. I know a couple of songs. But her dating Travis Kelsey. Okay, I get why that's new. But now, 
it's gotten to the point where everything about her is becoming breaking news in the sports world. Why? Bleacher Report yesterday on Twitter, breaking news, Taylor Swift plans to attend the Sunday night football game between the Chiefs and the Jets. Really? That's what we're doing? If she wants to attend and the camera's going to show her sometimes, that's cool because the camera's going to show the family members of the players on the field. And if she's a long-term girlfriend, she's considered family at this point. So they're going to show her, especially if she's sitting next to, standing next to Travis Kelsey's mom, Sharon. Hopefully it works. I hope the best for Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift. Uh, Travis Kelsey's transformation from being a guy with the beard, doing hip-hop dances, dating black women, to now having a guy just with a mustache, dating Taylor Swift, is crazy. But respect to him for that. You know, he's versatile. You know, we're not we're not all one thing at one time, so I respect that. And hopefully, like I said, hopefully they work out. But let's calm down on everything Taylor Swift. I get it. She brings in numbers. She brings in clicks. People are going to retweet something about her. But are we that hungry or that thirsty for the clicks and the tweets that we get away from what this is? We're sports journalists, sports writers, sports podcasters. And it's fun at first, you know, you make little puns about shaking it off or bad blood or whatever, and you talk about it. But okay, it had its moment. Cool. If they stay together, cool. But it shouldn't be a thing every week. Let's let's go ahead and slow that down. Are we gonna take our last music break when we come back? Make the picks for week four. We'll be right back. Until the end of time. 
safer death row full of demonstrators. And in the end, drinking in the sea, made all my enemies envy me. So cool when I flow, eliminating easily. Most of their knees, they bleed for their right to bleed. I'm begging me to keep them Closer to achieve In times of danger Don't freeze Time to be a G Follow my lead I supply everything you need And out the game And the training To make a G Remember me As an outcast outlaw Another hour I'm out That's what I'm about More Getting raw to the day I see my casket Buried as a G While the whole world Remembers me Until the end of time Welcome back to The Real Deal with Damien Adams. I was jamming out a little bit, forgot I was on the air. <laughs> Classic TLC, baby, 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 instrumental in the background. Had your boy jamming just now. But now let's get into the last segment of the show. My picks for week four. Your boy has been doing this thing on the picks so far this year. Week one, I went 10 and 6. Week two, 11 and 5. Week three, I went 12 and 4. Getting better and better each and every week. Your boy's killing it. And for the season, I'm 32 and 15 so far. Let's see if I can continue the increase in wins and decrease in losses for the year. So tonight, we have Detroit at Green Bay. A good Thursday night game. Don't normally get good Thursday night games. This one should be a good one. I got Green Bay winning 24 to 20. Green Bay's defense has shown themselves to be formidable. And Detroit's defense has been inconsistent. So I think Jordan Love will have a good game in this one. It'll be close, but I like Green Bay to win this one. Next matchup, we have Atlanta at Jacksonville, but it's in London. So this is going to be very early on ESPN Plus for us West Coast people. It'll be like 6.30 in the morning when this comes on. So if you are a Falcons or Jaguars fan out here in the West Coast, wake up early. I'm probably going to wake up early just to make sure I catch it for sure. Jacksonville has to get their offense going. I don't see this offense being bad all year. Atlanta's defense is the team to get your offense back in rhythm against, I feel. I thought that against Houston. I was wrong. I think it's going to happen this week against Atlanta. So give me Jacksonville 27-17 to in London. Next matchup may be the game of the week. Miami at Buffalo. This one is going to be a barn burner. I'm going with Buffalo. Since it's in Buffalo, Buffalo's defense is really showing that they can be a juggernaut at times. Really showing what we thought we saw last year when they were the Super Bowl favorites. Uh, Miami is killing on both sides, but I think this is the week they run into their match. Give me Buffalo 30-27. to 
as long as Josh Allen not in YOLO mode. And the last two games after that week one debacle, he's been back to being the Josh Allen who can take a risk, but also not be stupid about it. And I feel like that Josh Allen will win games. Give me Buffalo 30-27. Next matchup, we got Minnesota at Carolina. I think Minnesota gets their first win of the year against Carolina. Uh, Carolina's defense is pretty good. And Carolina's offense just doesn't have anything. I know Minnesota's defense isn't good at all. But Carolina's offense, that old line, rookie quarterback, I think it'll be Bryce Young this week. Going against, or fighting an uphill battle, I should say, against any defense when you talk about the lack of weapons they have. So give me Minnesota in this one, 27-21. For the next matchup, we got <laughs> the bottom of the barrel. With Denver versus Chicago. I think Denver uh, gets their pride back a little bit this week. Justin Fields and that offense for Chicago is just so bad. So bad. So I see Denver winning 21-17. to Russell Wilson's actually been decent. It's been overshadowed by just the struggles of their team overall. But Russell Wilson's been okay. And I think he'll be good enough to win this game. Next matchup, we got Baltimore at Cleveland. Very interesting game. Cleveland's defense, man, they look like the next coming of the great defense, right? And Baltimore has been very inconsistent this year. Lost to the Colts. Like, really? That's what we're doing? Losing to the Colts? And without their starting quarterback against Gardner Minshew, of all things. The Colts defense has been better, though. It's been really good. But give me Cleveland in this one. I believe in Cleveland's defense. Deshaun Watson starting to look like Deshaun Watson again. So give me Cleveland 24-20. Next matchup, we got the Rams against those Colts. Uh, I believe in the Colts, man. That defense looks really good. Their offense has been decent, even with Minshew. They've been good. Not dissing Minshew. He's a very good backup quarterback, one of the best in the league. But Anthony Richardson could be special. And I hope to see him back in this one against the Rams. I got the Colts winning 21-14. I think that defense will create havoc, and make it a tough day for Matthew Stafford and those young receivers. For the next matchup, very interesting game. we got Pittsburgh at Houston. J.J. Uh, Watt is going to be enshrined into the Houston Ring of Honor. Definitely well-deserved, and I love that they're doing it with his brother in town. Whole family could be there. But I do think that Pittsburgh will ruin the day for Houston. I think that defense will make it tough on C.J. Stroud. T.J. Watt's going to go crazy. So give me Pittsburgh in this one. Final score, 21-18. to 18. Close game, but that defense pulls it out. Next matchup, we got Tampa Bay at the Saints. Who that said they're going to beat them Saints? Uh, last week it was the Packers that said that. Uh, so this week, as a Saints fan, you have to mentally prepare yourself for this game. You know it's going to be some shenanigans. Uh, Jameis Winston can't let the fact that he's playing against Tampa Bay get in his head. Go out there, just another game. Also, Marshawn Lattimore, Mike Evans. Can we just have a kumbaya moment with y'all too? Can we just come together and solve the issue? Because it's exciting. We know that you guys have a real rivalry there, but it's going to be penalties on both sides because of you two guys. Let's just, you know, match it up to respect for each other. You got a great receiver going against a great cornerback. Let's just have a mutual respect, but... Every time they play each other, every time it's, you know, stuff going on after the play with these two. So as a Saints fan, you just got to rub your temple and say, Wusa, 
and get ready for what's going to happen in this one. But I do believe in the Saints defense. It's been great all year. I feel like they ran out of gas against Green Bay because the offense didn't help them out enough. They're going to do enough to shut down Baker Mayfield in their offense. I joke about Mike Evans and Marshall Lattimore, but Marshall Lattimore has gotten the best of Mike Evans. Mike Evans has been great this year, amazing this year, but I feel like that's going to shut down in this game. So give me the Saints 20-13 to in this one. Cincinnati at Tennessee. Uh, Tennessee's offense is horrendous. Uh, Cincinnati does have a decent defense. You saw that against the Rams. Trey Henderson, former Saint, out there just killing it. So give me Cincinnati 24-17 to in that one. For the next matchup, we got Washington at Philly. Washington, that offense looked horrible against Buffalo. It's about to look worse <laughs> against Philadelphia. Uh, give me 27-10, to 10, Philadelphia. For the next matchup, we got Vegas at the L.A. Chargers. Uh, this one is going to be a game where you have two coaches who seem just to not be able to make the right decisions, right? Against Minnesota, you saw a game where it seemed like both coaches were trying to give it away. This is going to be another one of those. Uh, Brandon Staley, or as my guy Jason Fearman calls him, Brandon Faley, damn near gave that game away. But Vegas, that offense, especially if Jimmy Garoppolo is out, don't really like it. The charge defense is bad, but against a backup quarterback and that offense, I see them doing enough. So give me the Chargers 30 to 24. Next matchup, we got New England at Dallas. We got Ezekiel Elliott coming back to his home team, the Dallas Cowboys. But I think Dallas gets back on track this week. That New England offense just isn't enough. Mac Jones isn't good enough, to be honest with you. Uh, Dallas will win 21 to 13, in my opinion. Next matchup, Arizona at San Francisco. This matchup. It's a lot more intriguing than it was a week ago after Arizona defeated the Cowboys. Um, but I don't see San Francisco letting that happen. They don't have those lapses in maturity, like Marcus Spears would say, that Dallas has. So give me San Francisco 27-17 in this one. Sunday night matchup. Uh, we already know that Taylor Swift will be there. So exciting. As Kansas City goes to the New York Jets. Uh, the Jets still got Zach Wilson at quarterback. The Chiefs defense has been very, very good this year. And the Jets defense will make the Chiefs work hard, but it won't be enough. So give me the Chiefs 24-7. Monday night, the Giants on national TV again. We really got to stop putting the Giants on TV so much. Uh, but we got Seattle at the New York Giants. Give me Seattle 21-17. Saquon Barkley may play, but I still don't think that's enough for the Giants in that offense against Seattle. I think Seattle will be able to score enough against that defense. Give me Seattle, 21-17. So to recap my picks real quick, Green Bay over Detroit, Jacksonville over Atlanta, Buffalo over Miami, Minnesota over Carolina, Denver over Chicago, Cleveland over Baltimore, the Colts over the Rams, Pittsburgh over Houston, Saints over Bucks, give me the Bengals over the Titans, give me Eagles over Commanders, Chargers over Raiders, Dallas to beat New England, San Francisco to beat Arizona, Kansas City to beat the New York Jets, and Seattle to beat the Giants. So hopefully you enjoyed this episode, man. There will be more content coming on my personal social media, so make sure you follow me at The Real Deal WDA. I'll be doing a recap of the fight. I'll be giving you all that type of stuff. Football reactions, basketball reactions. Make sure you follow Burn City Sports if you are a Phoenix sports fan. 
Make sure you follow us because we are giving you everything Phoenix. Cardinals, Suns, Coyotes, Diamondbacks, everything Arizona State, Phoenix Rising. Phoenix Sports is covered by Burner City Sports. So make sure you go ahead and check us out and follow us on all social media and YouTube. The Burn City Suns Talk podcast is coming soon. We did a short about the eight and trade yesterday. We bring you a full episode very, very soon. Should be doing our first episode on Tuesday of this week. And we'll be at Media Day on Monday. So in this big old scrum of all these national media guys and girls, Burn City Sports will be there. So make sure you go ahead and follow us so you'll get exclusive content on everything Phoenix Suns. All right. So until next time. Go real or go home.